Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. I live in Southern California, Los Angeles. This is Baja Norte. If you do not speak Spanish in Los Angeles, well, you're missing out on a whole lot. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. And for a very limited time, LeVar Burton Rees listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off, visit rosettastone.com slash LeVar. That's rosettastone.com slash L-E-V-A-R. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and this is LeVar Burton Reads. Every episode, I handpick a different piece of short fiction, and I read it to you. The only thing these stories have in common is that I love them, and I hope you will too. I'm going to share a story with you today by the National Book Award and MacArthur Genius Grant winner, Charles Johnson. It's called Guan, and it's from his collection, Dr. King's Refrigerator and Other Bedtime Stories, one of my favorite titles uh, in recent years. A guan is a practice hall where Chinese martial arts are studied. And the protagonist at the center of this story is a man named Ed Lewis, who is the sifu, or the teacher, at this guan, uh, this martial arts studio on the south side of Chicago. Dr. Johnson's own philosophical interests, upbringing, and identities definitely informed this story in a lot of ways. He describes himself as uh, someone who is drawn to both discipline and craft. He personally began practicing martial arts at the age of 19. He's black American, born in the Midwest, and he's also a practicing Buddhist. So while you're reading the story, maybe you want to consider the differences between practice that in Intense focus that's required and devotion. And do the two actually have anything in common? So, if you're ready, let's take a deep breath. And begin. One. By Charles Johnson. David Lewis's martial arts guan was in a Southside Chicago neighborhood so rough, he nearly had to fight to reach the door. Previously, it had been a dry cleaner's. Then a small Thai restaurant, and although he Lysol scrubbed the buckled linoleum floors and burned jade incense for the Buddha before each class, the studio was a blend of pungent odors, 
The smell of starched shirts and the tang of cinnamon pastries riding alongside the sharp smell of male sweat from nightly workouts. For five months, David had bivouacked on the backroom floor after his students left, not minding the clank of presses from the print shop next door, the noisy garage across the street, or even the two grand bank loan needed to renovate three rooms with low ceilings and leaky pipes overhead. This was his place, earned after ten years of training in San Francisco and his promotion to the hard-won title of Sifu. As his customers grunted through Tuesday night warm-up exercises, then drills with Elizabeth, his senior student, she'd been a dancer and still had the elasticity of Gumby, David stood off one side to watch, feeling the force of their key eyes vibrate in the cavity of his chest, interrupting them only to correct a student's stance. On the whole, his students were a hopeless bunch, a Franciscan test of his patience. Some came to class on drugs. One, Wendell Miller, a retired cook trying to recapture his youth, was the obligatory senior citizen. A few were high school dropouts, orange-haired punks who played in rock bands with names like Plastic Anus. But David did not despair. He believed he was duty-bound to lead them like the Pied Piper from Sylvester Stallone movies, to a real understanding of the martial arts as a way that prepared the young through discipline and large doses of humility to be of use to themselves and others. Accordingly, his sheet of rules said no high school student could be promoted unless he kept a B average, and no dropouts were allowed through the door until they signed up for their GED exam. If they got straight A's, he took them to dinner. Anyone caught fighting outside his school was suspended. David had been something of a punk himself a decade earlier, pushing nose candy in Palo Alto, living on barbiturates and beer before his own teacher helped him to see, to David's surprise, that in his spirit, he had resources greater than anything in the world outside. The master's picture was just inside the door so all could bow to him when they entered David's school. Spreading the style was his rationale for moving to the Midwest, but the hidden agenda, David believed, was an inward training that would make the need for conflict fall away like a chrysalis. If nothing else, he could make their workouts so tiring none of his students would have any energy left for getting into trouble. Except, he thought, for Ed Morgan. He was an older man, maybe 40, with a bald spot and razor burns that ran from just below his ears to his throat. This was his second night at the studio, but David realized Morgan knew the calisthenics routine and basic punching drills cold. He'd been in other schools, any fool could see that, which meant the new student had lied on his application about having no formal training. Unlike David's regular students who wore the traditional white Chinese t-shirt and black trousers, Morgan had changed into a butternut running suit with black stripes on the sleeves and pant legs. David had told him to buy a uniform the week before during his brief interview. 
Morgan refused. And David dropped the matter, noticing that Morgan had pecs and forearms, like Popeye. His triceps could have been lifted right off Marvin Hagler. He was thick as a tree, even top-heavy, in David's opinion. And he stood half a head taller than the other students. He didn't have a suit to fit Morgan. And Morgan moved so fluidly that David caught himself frowning, a little frightened, for it was as though the properties of water and rock had come together in one creature. Then he snapped himself back, laughed at his silliness, looked at the clock, only half an hour of class remained, then clapped his hands loudly. He popped his fingers on his left hand, then his right, as his students, eager for his advice, turned to face him. We should do a little sparring now. Pair up with somebody your size. Uh, Elizabeth, you work with the new students. Sifu? It was Ed Morgan. David paused, both lips pressed together. If you don't mind, I'd like to spar with you. One of David's younger students, Tuffy, a Filipino boy with a falcon emblazoned on his arm, elbowed his partner, who wore his hair in a stiff mohawk, and both said, Uh-oh. David felt his body flush hot. Sweat suddenly on his palms like a sprinkling of salt water. Though there was no whiff of a challenge, no disrespect in Morgan's voice, his speech, in fact, was as soft and gently syllabled as a singer's. David tried to laugh. <laughs> you sure you want to try me? Please. Morgan bowed his head, which might have seemed self-effacing had he not been so tall and still looking down at David's crown. It would be a privilege. Rather than spar, his students scrambled back, nearly falling over themselves to form a circle, as if to ring two gunfighters from opposite ends of town. David kept the slightest of smiles on his lips, even when his mouth tired to give the impression of masterful indifference. He was, after all, Sifu here, wasn't he? A little sparring would do him good. Wouldn't it? Especially with a man the size of Morgan. Loosen him up, so to speak. He flipped his red sash behind him and stepped lower into a cat stance, his weight on his rear leg, his lead foot light and lifted slightly, ready to whip forward when Morgan moved into range. Morgan was not so obliging. He circled left, away from David's lead leg, then did a half-step of broken rhythm to confuse David's sense of distance, and then, before he could change stances, flicked a jab at David's jaw. If his students were surprised, David didn't know, for the room fell away instantly, dissolving as his adrenaline rose and his concentration closed out everything but Morgan. He always needed to get hit once before he got serious, and only he and the other existed, both in motion but pulled out of time, the moment flickerish, fibrous, and strangely two-dimensional, yet all too familiar to fighters, perhaps to men falling from heights, to motorists microseconds before a head-on collision, these minutes a spinning mosaic of crescent kicks, back fists, and flurry punches that, on David's side, failed. All his techniques fell short of Morgan, who, like a shadow or Mephistopheles, simply 
dematerialized before they arrived. The older man shifted from boxing to Wu-style Tai Chi Chuan. From this, he flowed into Pakwa, then Korean Karate, style after style, a blending of a dozen cultures and histories in one blink of an eye after another. With one move, he tore away David's sash. Then he called out each move in Mandarin as he dropped it on David, bomb after bomb, as if this were only an exhibition exercise. On David's face, blossoms of blood opened like orchids. He knew he was being hurt. Two ribs felt broken, but he wasn't sure. He thanked God for endorphins, a body's natural painkiller. He'd not touched Morgan once. Outclassed as he was, all he could do was ward him off, stay out of his way. Then, not even that, when a fist the size of a cantaloupe crashed straight down, driving David to the floor, his ears ringing then, his legs outstretched like a doll's. He wanted to stay down forever, but sprang to his feet, sweat stinging his eyes to salvage one scrap of dignity. He found himself facing the wrong way. Morgan was behind him, his hands on his hips, his head thrown back. Two of David's students laughed. It was Elizabeth who pressed her sweat-moistened towel under David's bloody nose. Morgan's feet came together. He wasn't even winded. Thank you, Sifu. Mockery, David thought, but his head banged too badly to be sure. The room was still behind heat waves, though sounds were coming back, and now he could distinguish one student from another. His sense of clock time returned. He said, You're a good fighter, Ed. Tuffy whispered, No shit, Buana. The room suddenly leaned vertiginously to David's left. He bent his knees a little to steady his balance. But you're still a beginner in this system. Weakly, he lifted his hand and let it fall. Go on with class. Elizabeth, give everybody a new lesson. David, I think class is over now. Over? He thought he knew what that meant. I guess so. Uh, bow to the master. His students bowed to the portrait of the school's founder. Now to each other. Again they bowed, but this time to Morgan. Class dismissed. Some of his students were whooping, slapping Morgan on his back as they made their way to the hallway and back to change. Elizabeth, the only female, stayed behind to let them shower and dress. Both she and the youngest student, Mark, a middle school boy with skin as smooth and pale as a girl's, looked bewildered, uncertain as to what this drubbing meant. David limped back to his office, which was also his bedroom, separated from the main room by only a curtain. There he kept equipment, free weights, a heavy bag on which he'd taped a snapshot of himself, for who else did he need to conquer? And the rowing machine Elizabeth avoided, calling it instant abortion. He sat down for a few seconds at his unvarnished knee-hole desk bought cheap at a Salvation Army outlet. Then 
rolled onto the floor, wondering what he'd done wrong. Would another Sifu more seasoned simply have refused to spar with a self-styled beginner? After a few minutes, he heard them leaving, a couple of students begging Morgan to teach them, and really, this was too much to bear. David, holding his side, his head pulled in, limped back out. Ed? <coughs> he coughed, then recovered. Hey, can I talk to you? Morgan checked his watch, a diamond-studded thing that doubled as a stopwatch and a thermometer, and probably even monitored his pulse. Half its cost would pay the studio's rent for a year. He dressed well, David saw, like a retired champion, everything tailored, nothing off the rack. I I've got an appointment, Sifu. Maybe later. Okay? A little dazed, David, swallowing the rest of what he wanted to say, gave a head shake. Okay. Just before the door slammed, he heard another boy say, Lewis ain't no fighter, man. He's a dancer. He lay down again in his office, too sore to shower, every muscle tender strung tight as catgut, searching with the tip of his tongue for broken teeth. As he was stuffing toilet paper into his right nostril to stop the bleeding, Elizabeth, dressed now in high boots and a baggy coat and slacks, stepped behind the curtain. She'd replaced her contacts with owl-frame glasses that made her look spinsterish. I'm sorry. He was wrong to do that. You mean when? It wasn't supposed to be a real fight. He tricked you. Anyone can score like he did if they throw out all the rules. Tell him that. Wincing, he rubbed his shoulder. <laughs> do you think anybody will come back on Thursday? She did not answer. <laughs> do you think I should close the school? David laughed bleakly. <laughs> or just leave town? David, you're a good teacher. A Sifu doesn't always have to win, does he? It's not about winning, is it? No sooner had she said that than the answer rose between them. Could you be a doctor whose every patient died? A credible mathematician who couldn't count? By the way the world, and more important, his students reckoned things, he was a fraud. Elizabeth hitched the strap on her workout bag, which was big enough for both of them to climb into, higher on her shoulder. Do you want me to stick around? No. You gonna put something on that eye? Through the eye Morgan hadn't closed, she looked flattened, like a coin. Her skin flushed and her hair faintly damp after a workout. So lovely, David wanted to fall against her, blend with her, disappear. Only it would hurt now to touch or be touched. And unlike some teachers he knew, his policy was to take whatever he felt for a student, the erotic electricity that sometimes arose, and transform it into harder teaching, more time spent on giving them their money's worth. Besides, he was always broke. His street clothes were old enough to be in elementary school. 
a 30-year-old man no better educated than Mark or Tuffy, who'd concentrated on shop in high school. Elizabeth was another story, a working mother, a secretary on the staff at the University of Illinois at Chicago, surrounded all day by professors who looked young enough to be graduate students. A job as sweet as this, from David's level, seemed high-toned and secure. What could he offer Elizabeth? Anyway, this might be the last night he saw her if she left with the others, and who could blame her? He studied her hair, how it fell onyx black and abundant like some kind of blessing over and under her collar, which forced Elizabeth into the unconscious habit of tilting her head just so and flicking it back with her fingers, a gesture of such natural grace it made his chest ache. She was so much lovelier than she knew. To his surprise, a line from Psalms came to him. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Whoever wrote that, he thought, meant it for her. He looked away. Go on home. We're having class on Thursday? You paid until the end of the month, didn't you? I paid for six months, remember? He did. She was literally the one who kept the light bill paid. Then we'll have class. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make Mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night. No matter how chaotic your day is, Conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great. Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. Now, let's get back to our story. 
All that night and half the next day, David stayed horizontal, hating Morgan, hating himself more. It took him hours to stop shaking. That night, it rained. He fended off sleep, listening to the patter with his full attention, hoping its music might have something to tell him. Twice, he belched up blood, then a paste of phlegm and hamburger pulp. Jesus, he thought distantly, I'm sick. By nightfall, he was able to sit a while and take a little soup, but he could not stand. Both his legs ballooned so tightly in his trousers, he had to cut the cloth with scissors and peel it off like strips of bacon. Parts of his body were burning, refusing to obey him. He reached into his desk drawer for Morgan's application and straight away saw that Ed Morgan couldn't spell. David smiled ruefully, looking for more faults. Morgan listed his address in Skokie, his occupation as a merchant marine, and provided no next of kin to call in case of emergencies. That was all. And David, for the life of him, could not see that night or the following morning how he could face anyone in the studio again. Painfully, he remembered his promotion a year earlier. His teacher had held a ceremonial Buddhist candle, the only light in his darkened living room in a house near the Mission District barely bigger than a shed. David, kneeling, held a candle too. The light that was given to me, said his teacher, repeating an invocation two centuries old. I now give to you. He touched his flame to the wick of David's candle, passing the light, and David's eyes burned with tears. For the first time in his life, he felt connected to cultures and people he'd never seen, to traditions larger than himself. His high school instructors had dismissed him as unteachable. Were they right? David wondered. Was he made of wood too flimsy ever to amount to anything? Suddenly, he hated those teachers, as well as the ones at Elizabeth's school, but only for a time, hatred being so sharp an emotion like the business end of a balisong knife, he could never hang on to it for long. Perhaps that was why he failed as a fighter. And soon he felt nothing, only numbness. As from a great distance, he watched himself sponge bathe in the sink, dress himself slowly, and prepare for Thursday's class, the actions previously fueled by desire, by concern over consequences, by fear of outcome, replaced now by something he could not properly name, as if a costly operation once powered by coal had reverted overnight to the water wheel. When six o'clock came, only Mark and Wendell and Elizabeth showed. David telephoned a few students, learning from parents, roommates, and live-in lovers that none was home. With Morgan, he suspected. So that's who he called next. Sure, said Morgan. A couple are here. They just wanted to talk. They're missing class. I didn't ask them to come. Quietly, David drew breath deeply just to see if he could. It hurt, so he stopped, 
letting his wind stay shallow, swirling at the top of his lungs. He pulled a piece of dead skin off his hand. Are you coming back? I don't see much point in that. Do you? In the background, he could hear voices, a television, and beer cans being opened. You've fought professionally, haven't you? That was a long time ago. Overseas. One, two, lost two, then I quit, said Morgan. It doesn't count for much. Did you teach? Here and there. Uh, listen, he said. Why did you call? Why did you enroll? I've, I've been out of training. I wanted to see how much I remembered. What do you want me to say? I won't come back, all right? What do you want from me, Lewis? He did not know. He felt the stillness of his studio. A similar stillness in himself and sat quiet for so long he could have been posing for a portrait. Then... You paid for a week in advance. I owe you another lesson. Morgan snorted. <laughs> in what? Chinese ballet? Fighting, said David. A private lesson in Budo. I'll keep the studio open until you get here. And then he hung up. Morgan circled the block four times before finding a parking space across from Lewis's school. Why hurry? Ten, maybe fifteen minutes he waited, watching the open door, wondering what the boy, and he was a boy in Morgan's eyes, wanted. He'd known too many kids like this one. They took a few classes, promoted themselves to Seventh Don, then opened a storefront dojo that was no better than a private stage, a theater for the ego, a place where they could play out fantasies of success denied them on the street, in school, in dead-end jobs. They were phony, Morgan thought, like almost everything in the modern world, which was a subject he could spend hours deriding, though he seldom did, his complaints now being tiresome, even to his own ears. Losers, he thought, who strutted around in fancy oriental costumes, refusing to spar or show their skill. Too advanced for beginners, they claimed, or my sensei made me promise not to show that to anyone. Hogwash. He could see through that shit. All over America he'd seen them, and India too, where they weren't called fakers for nothing. And they'd made him suffer. They'd made him pay for the privilege of their teachings. In 20 years, as a merchant marine, he'd been in as many schools in Europe, Japan, Korea, and Hong Kong, submitting himself to the lunacy of illiterate fakers. Men who claimed they could slay an opponent with their breath, or chi, and simply because his hunger to learn was insatiable. So he had no rank, anywhere. He could tolerate no masters posturing long enough to ingratiate himself into the inner circles of any school, though 80% of these fly-by-night dojos bottomed out inside a year. And hell, he was a bilge rat, never in any port long enough to move up in rank. Still, he had killed men. It was depressingly easy. 
killed them in back alleys in Tokyo with blows so crude no master would include such inelegant means among traditional techniques. More hogwash, thought Morgan. He'd probably done the boy good by exposing him. His own collarbone had been broken twice, each leg three times, all but two fingers smashed, and his nose reshaped so often he couldn't remember its original contours. On wet nights, he had trouble breathing. But why complain? You couldn't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. And yet, Morgan thought, squinting at the door of the school, there was a side to Lewis he liked. At first, he had felt comfortable as if he had at last found the guan he'd been looking for. True, Lewis had come on way too cocky when asked to spar, but what could you expect when he was hardly older than the high school kids he was teaching? And maybe teaching them well, if he was really going by that list of rules he handed out to beginners. And it wasn't so much that Lewis was a bad fighter, only that he, Morgan, was about five times better because whatever he lacked now in middle age, flexibility and youth's fast reflexes, he more than made up for in size and experience, which was a polite word for dirty tricks. Give Lewis a few more years, a little more coaching and the combat strategies Morgan could show him, and he might become a champion. But who did he think he was fooling? Things never worked out that way. There was always too much ego in it. Something every Sifu figured he had to protect or save face about. A lesson in Budo. Christ, he'd nearly killed this kid. And there he was barking on the telephone like Saddam Hussein before the bombing started. Even begging for the ground war to begin. And that was just all right if a showdown, a duel, was what he wanted. Morgan set his jaw and stepped onto the pavement of the parking lot. However things went down, he decided, the consequences would be on Lewis. It would be his call. Locking his car, then double-checking each door. This was a rough neighborhood even by Morgan's standards. He crossed the street, carrying his workout bag under his arm. The last threads of smog-filtered twilight fading into darkness, making the door of the guan a bright portal chiseled from blocks of glass and cement. A few feet from the entrance, he heard voices. Three students had shown. Most of the class had not. The two who had visited him weren't there. He'd lectured them on his experience of strangling an assailant in Kyoto, and Tuffy had gone quiet, looked edgy. Fighting didn't seem like fun then, and uneasy. Finally, they left, which was fine with Morgan. He didn't want followers. Sycophants made him sick. All he wanted was a teacher he could respect. Inside the school's foyer, he stopped his eyes tracking the room. He never entered closed spaces too quickly or walked near corners or doorways on the street. Toward the rear, by a rack filled with halberds and single-edged broadswords, a girl of about five with piles of ebony hair and blue eyes like splinters of the sky was reading a dog-eared copy of The Cat in the Hat. This would be the child of the class leader, he thought, bowing quickly at the portrait of the school's founder. But why bring her here? It cemented his contempt for this place. 
more a daycare center than a guan. Still, he bowed a second time to the founder, him he respected. Where were such grand old stylists when you needed them? He did not see Lewis or any other student until passing the curtained office, Morgan whiffed food cooking on a hot plate, and parting the curtain slightly, he saw Wendell, who would never in his life learn to fight, stirring and seasoning a pot of couscous. He looked like that children's toy, Mr. Potato Head. Morgan wondered why did David Lewis encourage the man? Just to take his money? He passed on, feeling his tread shake the floor, into the narrow hall where a few hooks hung for clothing, and found Elizabeth, with her left foot on a low bench, lacing the wrestling shoes she wore for working out. Excuse me, he said. I'll wait till you're finished. Their eyes caught for a moment. I'm done now. She kicked her bag under the bench, squeezed past Morgan by flattening herself to the wall as if he had a disease, then spun round at the entrance and looked squarely at him. You know something? What? You're wrong. Just wrong. I don't know what you're talking about. The hell you don't. David may not be the fighter, the killer you are, but he is one of the best teachers in this system. Morgan smirked. Those who can't do teach, huh? She burned a look of such hatred at Morgan, he turned his eyes away. When he looked back, she was gone. He sighed. He'd seen that look on so many faces, yellow, black, and white, after he'd punched them in. It hardly mattered anymore. Quietly, he suited up, stretched his arms wide, and padded barefoot back onto the main floor, prepared to finish this, if that was what Lewis wanted. For why else would he call? But at first, he could not catch sight of the boy. The others were standing around him in a circle, chatting, oddly like chess pieces, shielding an endangered king. His movements were jerky and chaplain-esque. One arm around Elizabeth, the other braced on Wendell's shoulder. Without them, he could not walk until his bruised ankles healed. He was temporarily blind in one blackened, beefed-over eye. And since he could not tie his own sash, Mark was doing it for him. None of them noticed Morgan, but in the school's weak light he could see blue welts he'd raised like crops on Lewis's cheeks and chest. That and something else. The hands of the others rested on Lewis's shoulder, his back, as if he belonged to them, no matter what he did or didn't do. Weak as Lewis looked now, even the old cook Wendell could blow him over, and somehow it didn't matter if he was beaten every round, or missed class, or died. The others were the Guan. It wasn't his school. It was theirs. Maybe brought together by the boy, Morgan thought, but now a separate thing living beyond him. To prove the system, the teaching here false, he would have to strike down every one of them. And still, he would have touched nothing. Ed, Lewis said, looking over Mark's shoulder, when we were sparring, 
I saw mistakes in your form. Things someone better than me might take advantage of. I'd like to correct them, if you're ready. What things? His head snapped back. What mistakes? I can't match your reach, said Lewis. But someone who could, getting inside your guard would go for your groin or knee. It's the way you stand, probably a blend of a couple of styles you learned somewhere, but they don't work together. If you do this, he added, torquing his leg slightly so that his thigh guarded his groin, the problem is solved. Is that why you called me? No, there's another reason. Morgan tensed. He should have known. You do some warm-up exercises we've never seen. I like them. I want you to lead class tonight, if that's okay, so the others can learn them too. Then he laughed. <laughs> I think I should warm the bench tonight. Before Morgan could reply, Lewis limped off, leaning on Mark, who led him back to his office. The two others waited for direction from Morgan. For a moment, he shifted his weight uncertainly from his right foot to his left, pausing until his tensed shoulders relaxed and the tight fingers on his right hand coiled into a fist, opened. Then he pivoted toward the portrait of the founder. Bow to the master? They bowed. Now to our teacher. They did so, bowing toward the curtained room with Morgan, a big man, bending deepest of all. When I was a kid, I uh, had friends who studied martial arts, um, some Taekwondo, some Karate. But, I mean, I was never that kid. <laughs> I mean, you know, I was, I was inspired by Bruce Lee. And, you know, and I, 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 in high school, I had a pair of nunchucks. And I, I bruised myself all over my head and shoulders trying to learn how to wield those things. Um, but I, I, I never got the hang of it. Um, I think now might be a time in my life where I could really appreciate the reason to study a martial art, the sense of, of control that it requires, um, the, the idea that you, you learn the forms so that you never have to use them right in in the real world i think the romantic notion when when i was a kid of of knowing how to fight to protect oneself is really given away to the truth that i don't have many fights <laughs> you know it's it's been i think since i was 9 or 10 since i've actually had a physical fight with another human being but i do understand the discipline that is required to study and then master a martial art like that there's a lot more obviously that goes into it than than just the the fighting skill it's the mental it's 
It's also the spiritual. And the fact that, you know, it's an ancient discipline that just lends, gives credence to the fact that it, you know, it, it works, that there's, that there's value to the system. What happened for me was um, I discovered theater and dance. And it was dance that gave me the physicality of, of, uh, of discipline, you know, literally, physically embodied discipline, practice, working through pain. Um, those kinds of lessons definitely came to me through, through the world of dance, which is not unlike, you know, um, the study of a martial art. You know, it, it really is a discipline about, about the, the blending of body and mind, how they come together uh, in the movement. So yeah, I, I guess that's where I really found that system of, of learning. I got it through dance. I was at, at college, I was at, at USC, and it was uh, in, I guess, midway through my second semester of my sophomore year where I really felt um, I was no longer laboring through the warm-ups and exercises that, you know, I had built up uh, a stamina, but also I had built up a proficiency in the execution of the movement. And I was really proud of that. When, like when you begin anything, you really suck at it. Um, but it took a, 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 about a year and a half, you know, for me to really feel like, uh, feel comfortable in class. And that was a big thing for me. I used to love going to class because uh, our teacher, Louise Reichlin, always uh, had a conga player. So I really responded well to the, you know, to drums. I'm, you know, I was, I'm, a, I'm a drummer and, and, and play drums. And so being in class was always a, a good place for me to be, but it sucked when I was not good at it. You know, it was frustrating. So to, to actually become more proficient at it felt good. And then I got roots <laughs> and then left. <laughs> and I danced no more. <laughs> Our producer on this episode of LeVar Burton Reads is Julia Smith, the best in the business. We also had help from Kristen Torres. Our editing and sound design was provided by Brendan Burns. And I want to thank him for his engineering expertise on today's episode. And thank you to Dr. Charles Johnson for allowing me to read his work. You can find it in his collection entitled Dr. King's Refrigerator and Other Bedtime Stories, published by Scribner. Now, do you like the podcast? Okay, I thought so. And if you want to help other people find it, it's very easy to do. Simply leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. And in that review, why not tell us a story that you would like to hear me read? We'll be back next week with another hand-picked story. Or if you can't wait that long, well, you can indulge in the next episode and exclusive bonus author interviews on Stitcher Premium. Each story goes up one week early and ad-free to boot. Go to stitcherpremium.com slash LeVar. Or if you're listening in Stitcher, lucky you. Just tap the menu button in your app and select premium for one month free. LeVar Burton Reads is a production of Stitcher. Our executive producers are Chris C.B. Bannon, Jenny Radelette of the Flying Radelette Sisters, and yours truly, 
LeVar Burton. You can find me on Twitter at LeVar Burton and LeVar.Burton on Instagram. I'll see you next time, but you don't have to take my word for it. Stitcher. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.